hands up. Of course, hands up if you have a question at any point in my talk. You can put your hand up, but I will, I will probably say, most likely I will say, leave it to the end, because I, I get in a bit of a flow when I talk, and if I lose my train of thought or lose my place, then it's not helpful for you guys or for me. Um, so if you do have a question, just try and keep it to the end. But you can put your hand up for this one, the very start. The very first one is, what was the best meal you ever had, wait, and why do you remember it? That's the question. Oh, hey. Put your hand up. Best meal you ever had. Go on, Naga. Firstly, uh, uh, a whole pack of pasta, <gasps> yeah. chili con carne, oh. shallot, yeah. carrots, coleslaw, <laughs> and lemonade. So it was the food oh. and the drink that did it for you. Arty? Um, a couple of years ago, in the summer, we did like a family come dine with me thing, and my dad thought it would be really cool to do like a barbecue and a few fat fried chips. Oh. And oh. It what was, a hero. I mean, I, but they were actually, it was like really good. And um, it was just really cool because Dad thought he was really cool doing it, and he, you know, worked hard on something he can do. So it's really cool because that's like the meal that he can cook. So yeah. Excellent. Okay, uh, Calvin. When I had a was it a nine or ten ounce burger. Oh, so that was volume, really, of meats. Yeah. Okay, Hattie. <laughs> so, a few years ago, I had an operation on my knee. Yeah. And I was. And it got delayed a lot, so I didn't eat for like 40 hours. And then I couldn't eat because I needed medicine because I kept oh. growing up. Oh. And when I got it, I had this like chicken sandwich, oh. and it just tasted really good. Cause oh, it was okay. Go on then. Good. Go on, Sean. So it was the long time before eating the. Yeah, yeah okay. Sean? I ate a pizza slice oh. this morning. Oh, this <laughs> today? The best meal you've had today, okay. Nice. Then I had pizza for dinner. Oh, what, double pizza day, great, yep. This is a chocolate and pastry in a week. Is that really the best meal you've had ever? Okay, uh, Isaac, last one. Uh, kebab. Kebab. Yeah, was it late night kebab or was it just regular daytime kebab or was it the timing? What was it? What was the good thing about that? What was the most amazing thing about it? The chicken. The chicken side. <laughs> All right, it's nice kebab. Good, okay. Well, the reason I ask you that, that question is because tonight we're talking about uh, another meal, the Passover meal. And as you know, we've been going through this series called Sin, God and Holiness, or God, Sin and Holiness, or Holiness, God and Sin, or Sin, God, Holiness. No, I, I said that one already. But we'll go through this series. It's all based in Mark's Gospel. Hopefully you've been reading the reading plan. It's going along and, and reading it and enjoying it. And we're getting towards the end now because it's towards the end of term. And we've arrived at chapter 14 of Mark. And uh, in this chapter, you can read about uh, the Last Supper that Jesus leads with his disciples and so we're going to read about that, we're going to talk about that um, a little bit. So I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 17, and then I'm going to read to you chapter, um, chapter 14, 22 to 26 as well, consecutively. So it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you there. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found the things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. This is now 22 to 26, says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took up a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So your meals that you talked about just then were memorable for different reasons. Some it was the time uh, spent not eating before you ate again. Others it was the volume of pasta or concani. Others it was the fact that you ate the same thing twice in one day. But for the disciples, I'm pretty sure that this meal was the most memorable meal in their lives. And it's because it was different. It's because Jesus says some really important things in it, and it's because it points back to a moment in history of God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, uh, which is really significant. And we're going to go all the way back to Exodus uh, for this. And later on, Ashley, I just remembered, we're going to need a video, which I've teed up in a window there. So if you're ready for that, it's not for a little bit, but we'll get there. And so we need to go back to Exodus, uh, which is, who knows which number book of the Bible that is. Oh, close. Second, Kevin. Spot on. Second book of the Bible. And in chapter 12, we catch up with the story. I'll just catch you up with the context. So it's all, in chapter 12, we find Moses. Moses has come out of the wilderness. God sent him to liberate the Israelites from the Egyptian rulers. And the Egyptians have been oppressing the Israelites. So they've been making them work really hard. They've been making them make bricks without straw. They've tried to cut off the multiplication by killing their firstborn sons so that they wouldn't create any more Hebrews themselves. And uh, that's how actually Moses got delivered from that. And that's he's coming back now to set them free. And uh, God made a promise in Exodus 6. He said, I am the Lord and I will bring out from under the Egyptians my people. And... So Moses resists God a bit. He has a bit of back and forth with him about going to talk to Pharaoh. And finally, with Aaron, I think it's his cousin. I think that's right. Uh, his relation, anyway. He goes with... Pardon? Brother. Is it really? All oh, right. Yeah, I got that wrong. Yeah, it's his brother. Thank you, pardon. So, um, yeah, so they go back to Pharaoh. And uh, they say, Pharaoh, I want you to let the Israelites go out into the desert. And Pharaoh says, No. And so God afflicts the Egyptians with plagues that show up their gods. And in brief, those were turning the Nile into blood, plague of frogs, plague of flies. Fries? (laughs) That'd be really weird. Like, fries just overtake Egypt. That'd be amazing. That would be another... America! America. No, no. Open your mouth. Okay. And uh, and then there's another another plague. The livestock die. Yes. And then there's boils, itchy boils on everybody. That's the next one. Hail, locusts, and then the last one is darkness for three days. It just goes dark. And Pharaoh resists throughout all of these plagues. He doesn't let them go. And then the tenth plague is threatened and then takes place. And the tenth plague, put your hand up if you know. Kevin. Was he going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son? Yeah, that's right, but not just Pharaoh's. Not just Pharaoh's. Everyone in Egypt and and the livestock's firstborn sons as well or whatever, calves, sheep, whatever. And so this tenth plague is really significant, and Pharaoh doesn't want to hear it. He tells them, no, you can't leave. And we pick up the passage here in Exodus 12, and it's verses 1 to 14, so I'm going to read it to you. This is what happens next. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb 
for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamps. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, Malachi Shish, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If, someone is, if some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so, this is a really big moment for the Jewish nation, because they're celebrating in the book of Mark this significant night that happens in Egypt. And it's, it's twilight on the 14th day of the month, uh, the Jewish month is called Nisan, and they gather together to celebrate. But before we get back to the Jesus meal going on, I just want us to look at the instructions again for the Passover, because they're really significant. So the first thing that the guys in Exodus are told, the guys that are in Egypt, they're told to basically get their neighbours around to celebrate the Passover with them. <coughs> Right? And they need enough people to eat a whole lamb. If your family isn't big enough, you need to go and get other people to, to join you. That's what they're saying. Next, you need to pick a lamb. You need to pick one that's a year old. You need to pick a sheep or goat lamb. And it has to be without defect or without blemish. So not three legs, not like one ear, not like lame, not, not defective in any way. It has to be absolutely perfect. It has to be spot on, beautiful. Right, third thing is they have to look after it. So they need to care for it, feed it, water it. For until the 14th day of the month and then the whole community gets together and they have to slaughter them all at the same time at twilight once they've slaughtered them they've got to take the blood and they've got to put some on the door frame on the doorpost and on the lintel as well and that's all made of wood so that they can do that and then they have to roast the lamb and eat the entire thing with bitter herbs and unleavened bread and if you're wondering what unleavened bread looks like it's pitta and it's a bit like pitta and uh, they eat it all up, and if they can't manage to eat it all, they have to burn it, and uh, then they've got to make sure that they're ready to eat and move. They've got to have the kind of the first ever fast food. They've got to be ready to go. Shoes on the feet, stuff in the hand, tucked in belt. Eat in haste, it says. Get ready to go, get ready to leave. And then what happens next in verse 13 is really, really important. It's really, really important because... I'm going to read it to you. It says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is God speaking. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so, to put it simply, 
Little lambs save about two million people in the land of Egypt from tragedy Why and death. Pardon? How about no, no, it's okay. Hold on to it. Hold it in your mind. And so this is what happened. They die, and they, they die, but the people of Israel, they live, and they're finally free. And so you might be sat there thinking, and this might be to do with what your questions are about, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, why does that need to happen? Why do they need to do this? Why do they need blood to be shed in order to protect them? And it's because the ancient Hebrews understood something that actually we really struggle to understand today. And they understood that actually sins have a cost. And that by sinning against God, we are indebted to him. And you see the, the same thing going on between Abraham and Isaac. If you remember that story, Abraham and Isaac, they climb a hill, uh, they get to the top, and, uh, and God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham, everyone thinks a lot of the time that Abraham is going to be up there going, oh, how could he possibly ask me to sacrifice your son? How awful! Ah, oh, I'm in agony. And yes, I'm sure he did have some emotion going on, but he would have also known that Isaac is going to pay for his sins. And so he would have been able to... Not this Isaac, no. But they, they knew that. They knew that in the moment. Shh, listen. They knew... I'm going to move you. Come and sit here. Now, come on. I don't care. Come on. Thank you. Okay, good. So, we're not going to sacrifice him, but we are going to sit him there. Sit there. Good. Okay, so that's what happens. I know. Okay, so that's what happens in that moment. They know something that we don't get. And the reason we don't get it is maybe because we just don't want to believe it or we just don't want to accept it or we ignore it or deny it. But sin, Calvin, has a cost. It offends God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about sin. We, want to, we need to understand it. We need to understand how it offends God and how actually we are indebted to him which is why we're going to watch the video, if that's all right. So I think you can all kind of see the screen. I can just turn it around. Quince, when we're setting up class, you have a question. Who told them all this? Go on. Yeah. How? Who is this boy? Oh, did Moses? Yeah, but this. Moses was like the dummy of a bunch of real quick. I need to pause this. I don't know how to do that. Having just watched that video on sin by the guys from the Bible Project, thank you guys, um, this is what we need to get a hold of. And this is what we're trying to teach you through this series. We're teaching you about God's holiness, we're teaching you about, um, sorry, we're teaching you about God himself, his identity, and we're teaching you about sin. And because this is something that actually lots of people these days uh, either don't want to accept as a reality or just ignore or try and deny. But the reality is that sin means we're indebted to God and Abraham Isaac, they would have got that. Moses, he would have got that as well. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, do you know what? I'm not actually that bad, though, am I? Like, I, I've never killed anyone, you know, most of my life. I've been pretty good for the most of the time. Although, occasionally, behaviour is questionable. Uh, you might be sitting there thinking, actually, I'm all right. But if that's your thinking, then you haven't quite understood the significance of God's holiness how perfect and how pure he is and how if anything that is impure, anything sinful, how much it actually offends him. You see, sin is really serious, and it's in all of us, as they were saying, and it's the thing that makes us worthy of going to hell. And this is a terrifying thing to think about, and it's not an overreaction by God's, on God's part because we know how seriously God takes sin by his response to it. He takes sin so seriously that he sends his own son to take the punishment for sin so that we could go free, and that's another implication of how much he 
loves us. <coughs> but to understand this a little bit better, I, I turn to John Piper, who's an excellent theologian. He says, Decrees of blameworthiness come not from how long you offend dignity. So it doesn't matter how long you've been good or how long you're bad. He says this, but from how high the dignity is that you offend. So I'll say the whole thing. It says, decrees of blameworthiness come not from how long you offend dignity, but from how high the dignity is that you offend. Now, I'm your youth leader. You might offend me, and you might think, well, that's not a very high dignity, and that's fair enough. But then you might offend your parents. You might sin against them, and you're thinking, actually, they, that's a high, quite a high dignity. But the reality is we've all offended God, the eternal, the highest dignity there is and we hurt him with our sin and we deserve to be punished for it and we're judged according to what we've done at the end of our lives great thank you and uh, in the exodus story when god sends that destroyer as he mentions it he's sending judgment on the whole land of egypt right not just the egyptians in that moment he's sending it out over the whole uh, whole land but he tells the israelites how to cause death to pass over them in order, and in order for that to happen, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be someone taking the, or something taking the punishment. And so if we fast forward now to Jesus and his friends celebrating that historical moment from Exodus and its significance of the Israelites leaving Egypt, it's really important. And then he takes it another step further. He begins to reveal what is about to happen to him on the cross. Let me read it to you again. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. New in the kingdom of God. And Jesus explains that he is about to replicate Passover. And now we get to do something really fun with the blackboards, uh, which I'm excited about. Uh, and I'm going to put this over here. Isaac, can I ask you just to shuffle over there for a sec? Thanks. Thanks. So we're going to draw two places, because this happens in the Bible a lot, right? So down here is Exodus. There it is. And over here is Mark. Clearly not. That is there. And then these are over a thousand years apart. The events happening at Passover and the events happening at the meal where Jesus gets his disciples together, right? And this happens all the time because when you read the Old Testament, you realise that loads of stuff in the Old Testament, even though it happened thousands of years before Jesus, points to him in a moment and in a certain way. And so I'm going to walk you through a few parallels that happen. So in the story of Exodus, there is the firstborn son that is put under threat by the tenth plague. God says, I'm going to take away your firstborn son. So that happens here. Then what happens? God sends his only firstborn son, Jesus, his only firstborn in Mark to take on the Passover. He sends, a, uh, he sends Jesus in that moment. So that's the first one. The next thing, the Passover begins at twilight. So they sacrifice the lamb at twilight, right? They do that in Exodus. And in Mark... A couple of chapters later or verses later, Jesus dies at twilight. Okay. So, without defect or blemish, next thing, these guys in Exodus, they had to pick a lamb or of a goat or a sheep that didn't have any spot or wrinkle or blemish of any kind. In Mark, 
Jesus is the only one without sin. He's the only one without blemish or defect. He's the only one who could have taken sins upon himself on the cross. Another one for you. In Exodus, the whole community is gathered to see the sacrifice of the lamb. Lamb. The whole community is there to see the slaughter. At the crucifixion of Jesus, the whole of the city of Jerusalem is gathered to see the slaughter of the firstborn son of God. Next thing, the total destruction of the physical body. In Exodus, they take the lamb and they eat it all or they destroy it, they burn it. In Mark, Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, symbolising a broken body. And what happens on the cross? He gets pierced by the nails, he gets a spear in his side. There's total destruction of his body on the cross. The next thing that happens, in Exodus, these guys are told to take the lamb, slaughter it, put the blood on the wood of their door frame. In Mark, and the other Gospels, the blood of Jesus is taken as it's splattered against the wood of the cross. Next moment, the judgment comes on the Egyptians as the firstborn sons cry out and the families wake up to realise that they've been taken from them. There's a scream, there's a moment where judgment comes. How do they die? Who, the firstborn sons, they just they, die, just like that, bang. Next, Jesus. Jesus dies. On the cross, judgment comes. The world's sin is placed on him in a moment on the cross, on the blood-tattered wood. And the parallels with Jesus and the Passover lamb, they, they don't end here. The Passover lamb was this temporary solution down here in Exodus. They had to keep doing sacrifices to atone for their sin. But then Jesus comes, and he's the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He deals with everybody's sins, past, present and future, including mine. And Jesus, the Passover lamb, saves people from the punishment that they deserve. So the lamb saved the Israelites from a punishment that actually, as sinful people as they would have been, they deserve to be taken out, just like the, the Egyptian firstborns. But God saves them even though they don't deserve it. And the same thing happens in Mark, this event where Jesus takes our sin on himself. We don't deserve it. We're indebted to God. And this is what we really want you to grasp about sin. And Jesus saves us from eternal punishment because our sins have eternal ramifications. But he takes, up, takes them and saves, them, saves us from them by dying on the cross. He goes into the tomb and then is raised to life again. And that's the most wonderful part of the story that you've got to remember. Actually, yes, we all point to the cross but then it's the resurrection that makes the power come through for us. Because if he'd stayed dead, then actually we'd still be doomed. But because he didn't stay dead, we have hope. And so I want to finish now by ending our evening just highlighting the fact that in Exodus, there were those who believed in the Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and there were those that didn't. And we're impact here. We're in a privileged position because your friends may not accept the reality of sin in their lives or God. And even Matt, maybe you don't at this point in time. But somehow, some way, in God's phenomenal love for you personally, he's brought you here on a Friday night to see what he has done throughout the Bible, pointing to his son, Jesus. And he's given you that opportunity to be free from sin and be free from the consequences of sin for eternity and to go and spend eternity with him. And I, never, I don't ever believe that anyone comes to impact by coincidence. 
in all the years I've talked and hosted and stuff, I just don't believe anyone comes by accident here. Uh, I believe God wants them to be here with us. And with that, I just want to finish because I want to offer you the opportunity to, to put your faith in Jesus if you haven't done that. And that's really what we're all about. That's the reason we worship. It's the reason we go to church. It's the reason we tell other people is because we want them to be saved. And um, I will take your questions in a moment because I'm sure they're good. But I just want to take a second to pray for anyone who wants to do that. So um, if you, again, I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes. That'd be great.